Please uh, remain standing for the reading of the word. Today's reading comes from Matthew 21, verses 10 through 13, and John 2, 13 through 17. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. John 2, 13 through 17. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Good morning to you, and welcome new members. Glad that you're here. Years ago when my son was a teenager, it was a Sunday morning much like this. I was the pastor of the church and preached several services and then found myself in, in what was called the fellowship hall, very mad at him. To this day, I don't remember why. But I'm talking loud voice, wagging my finger at him, saying things a pastor on Sunday morning in the fellowship hall should probably not be saying. And as I did, I saw his jaw clench, and I saw him turn red, and fire came out of his ears, and then he bolted for the door, ran out the door, jumped in his car, squealed out of the church parking lot, throwing gravel everywhere. And I quickly sobered up. His mom and I walked back to our car, and there were still people on campus. Hey, Pastor Dave. It's like, hi, God bless you. <laughs> we got in our car and drove a couple miles. Oops. And then when we turned a corner onto a highway that led home, we saw in the distance a cluster of cars and emergency vehicles and lights. And I thought, oh, my God, what did I just do? Anybody here ever get angry? Am I, am I the only one? Anybody here been mad? Yeah. Do you know that Jesus got angry? I'm talking explosive, loud, disruptive, red in the face, table turning mad. Is that how you picture Jesus? Isn't he supposed to be sitting serenely with a child on his lap and like a lamb next to him? I guess not all the time. Because we're going to find out today that he got mad. He wasn't always calm and friendly. We're in a series leading up to Easter called The Passion. Uh, the week before Easter is traditionally known as Passion Week. And uh, we produce this. If you haven't gotten one, it is a daily devotional to help prepare your heart for Easter. And every day you walk through one of the things that happened in that last week of Jesus here on earth. If you haven't already picked one up, grab one, binge the first week, you know, and then start uh, right away on next week. 
But passion is not really a theological term, is it? It's an emotional term. Uh, when you journey with Jesus on his last days on earth, you see plenty of emotions. He wept over the city of Jerusalem just before he entered it. He felt the joy of exuberance when he entered the city and everyone was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. He had great anticipation for having Passover with his disciples. He winced at the sting of betrayal by a close friend. He grieved in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. He suffered the humiliation of being in a mock trial and, 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 and taken around the city in the middle of the night. And of course, he felt the humiliation and the exhaustion and the pain of the cross. And on top of that, he got angry in the temple. It was a roller coaster of emotions, the Passion Week of Christ. We're, we're going to look at one story where he just got angry. Let me give you a little context for this story. In Jerusalem, in Jesus' day, was the temple of God. It was the most central and magnificent uh, building in all of Jerusalem. It was the major place of worship and sacrifice for the Jewish people. The temple courts alone were the size of two football, plaza, two football fields. Sorry, It was a plaza for the people, the outer courts. In the center was the holy place and the holy of holies, which had much more restricted access, of course. Well, this incident happened in that plaza, in the temple courts. Now, during the Jewish holiday of Passover, the city was packed. Jews from all over the Roman world would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this annual feast, and that's why Jesus and the disciples were there. But this wasn't the first time that he'd been there. Remember, he was dedicated in the temple by Mary and Joseph when he was just a baby. And when he was 12 and Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem, they lost him. Remember that? Where did they find him? In the temple. And as an adult... Through his ministry years, he'd visit Jerusalem and he would teach in the temple courts. Now he was 30-something and this was not his first rodeo or Passover. It is possible that every time Jesus walked into the uh, courts of the temple that he kicked over those same tables because it made him mad. We don't know. We do know this. He made a weapon. He made a whip and he used it. Now, he didn't hurt people, but he definitely was mad. He was violently angry. And we have to ask the question, well, what are we supposed to learn from this story? Well, let's ask these three questions as we look at it this morning. Number one, why was Jesus so mad? That's an obvious question. Number two, well, what should I do if I get mad? Because the Bible teaches us about that. And number three, what if God gets mad at me? Because that is an issue. Let's look at the passage again. Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts, those are the football fields, and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So there's two groups of people he's mad at, the money changers and those selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Now that same Story found in John goes like this, in John 2. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Those are two groups again. 
So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. So let's ask that first question. Why was Jesus so mad? Well, here's a couple of reasons. The first one is he was mad at the dishonest business practices that were going on. Picture this temple, as I said, so large, the temple plaza in the crush of the crowds at Passover. Ryan told us last week, historians from the time said that normally there's about 100,000 people that live in the Jerusalem area. But at Passover, it swelled to two to three million. So you have all these travelers coming, and guess what? They brought money with them. And so the plaza was full, not only of the travelers, but enterprising vendors ready to make a profit. Now, let's be clear. Just buying and selling alone isn't the issue here. All these Jews wanted was to worship as commanded in the law, and they needed to make sacrifices. And it actually says in Deuteronomy, if you live too far away, sell your animals at home and bring the money and buy what you need when you get there. So buying and selling isn't the issue. Sometimes people read that into, into this. It's okay to sell things in the lobby at the church. You know, if the youth are having a fundraiser, or missions is collecting something. After this sermon, don't go back, go out there and kick over the children's ministry table. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to be doing this. That's not the idea. It's okay. But what was happening in the temple was more like thievery, dishonest financial business and marketing scams. Two groups Jesus directed his anger at, one who was exchanging money and the other was selling animals. Any of you ever travel outside the U.S.? Currency is different in other places, isn't it? Looks like Monopoly money. You know, it's kind of like funny money. It's, you know, and I use the open hand exchange uh, because you have to exchange your money when you, when you travel. I just open my hand and say, I'd like that Coke. And they take out what they want. I may have just bought a $100 Coke. I don't know. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't, you know, my wife doesn't like that way. Uh, but what you always have to pay a currency exchange rate. And listen, the temple had its own currency because all these travelers from around the Roman Empire were carrying Roman coins with Caesar's image on it. And that's not what you use in the temple. You had to convert it. And the money changers were charging an inflated exchange rate. That happens when you travel today, by the way. It made Jesus angry. And once you got your temple money, you'd move to the table or the kiosk and you'd buy animals for sacrifice, supposedly without blemish, but you'd buy whatever they have. The sellers also had a racket, providing inferior product at marked-up prices. Does that happen today? Yeah, you ever go to a Giants game? You buy a, you buy a crummy hot dog for 20 bucks. You know, but you can't, you can't do anything else. I mean, you're in the temple, so you buy what they give you. Does that make you angry? Yeah, it made Jesus mad. That's why Isaiah and Jeremiah were quoted, you've turned this place into a den of thieves, literally a cave of robbers. But it was more than that. Jesus was also mad because, number two, they were commercializing a spiritual holiday. This was Passover. It marked the salvation of the Jews from Egypt by God's mighty arm. This was a time of worship, to worship Jehovah and celebrate his covenant relationship with Israel. 
This was a time and a place, the temple, to pray for Israel's future. But these groups were leveraging it for their own greedy financial advantage to make money. Can you imagine anyone commercializing a religious holiday? <laughs> yeah, we can. Does it make you angry that Santa has replaced baby Jesus at Christmas? And that the Easter bunny is more prominent than the empty tomb at Easter? Yeah, I wonder how much money is made each year from Christmas and Easter while the real reasons for the seasons are totally forgotten. Does that make you mad? It made Jesus mad. But it was more than that. Jesus was mad also because, number three, they were abusing his house. The temple was his house. That's why these verses were quoted. Isaiah 56, my house will be called a house of prayer. And Psalm 61, zeal for my house will consume me. The temple was built as a place of worship for the Jewish people. It was his house. This was where prayer and praise and sacrifice and song and scripture discussion and worship was lifted up to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jehovah God, who we know is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All those centuries, Jesus, the Son of God, was the recipient of their worship. This was his house, and it was being abused, and that made him mad. Years ago, when, uh, Liz, when Liz and I were first dating, she still had a teenage son at home, and we were away on a trip, and we got a phone call from a neighbor that he was having a party at the house, and it got out of hand. Not only did his friends come, but other kids just started coming. They were bringing alcohol and everything, so she called a friend who was a teacher at that high school where all those kids went. And I'm not sure if she made a whip. I think she did. But she went to the house, and she's like, this is not your house. You get out of here. And she chased all those kids out. She was mad. We were mad. Jesus was mad. Jesus got mad. But listen, Jesus was mad during his ministry. But even though Jesus got angry, listen, he didn't lead a movement of anger. The gospel is not a message of violent rebellion. Jesus had plenty of reasons to be angry at the corrupt Jewish practices or the Roman culture that occupied the land. There was plenty of social injustice and immorality back then like there is today. But he wasn't a Jewish zealot. Zealots were irate at the Roman occupation. They opposed it fiercely with violence and rebellion. Jesus didn't do that. He never attacked Roman soldiers. He never called for a violent protest. Listen, the emblem of Christianity is not a kicked over table. It's a cross. We're not gathered here for social action to angrily right every wrong in society. We're gathered here to worship and to grow in our faith. When Jesus walked into the temple to worship, yeah, he wanted to teach, he wanted to pray, but he saw what had happened. They were worshiping money. And that made him mad. And he took action. He toppled tables. He raised his voice. He got red in the face. He pushed. He shoved. He threw coins. So I got to ask this. So is it okay to be angry? Yes, it is. See, you are created in God's image. And God gets angry. And you feel that emotion because you're created to be like him. Jesus got angry and Jesus never sinned. So it's not sinful to get mad. 
Anger is a human, natural, emotional reaction. It's absolutely normal to feel. I would demonstrate it if I had my two-year-old granddaughter here. I'd just take her candy away. You'd see what mad is. <laughs> but I don't have to demonstrate because you know exactly what it is. How many times have you gotten mad and felt angry? When you feel it, that's normal. But then when you express it, it has plenty of potential to turn sinful. So how you process and express anger really matters. So here's three different kinds of, of anger. I mean, let me ask you this. What's your temper temperament? What's your temper temperament? Here's three, three different kinds of angers. Number one is rage. That's extreme violent anger. Picture the Hulk. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me if I'm angry. Remember that line? Picture road rage, somebody cutting everybody off. Hot-headed, explosive, abusive, loud, violent, short-fused, livid, heated, outraged fury. Some of you were raised in a home where you wake up in the morning and wonder, what kind of mood is she in today? Or you'd fall asleep hearing mom and dad yelling and screaming and throwing things just before that divorce. I remember having a UPS boss who would come to the end of my trailer where I was working. He would just yell and scream and cuss at me and then write something on a clipboard and walk away. He was just an angry guy. I remember calling an appliance guy that was working on something. And I just asked him when it would be ready. And he just blew up. I mean, like the phone melted. He was cussing. And he goes, you think you're the only one that's had? And there's a proverb that says, a quiet answer turns away wrath. So I quietly said, okay, I'll just pick it up Friday. And I hung up. And on Friday, he apologized to me. But that's anger. That's rage. Here's another kind, repressed. That's anger held inside. It's still felt, but it's not expressed. It's unresolved conflict that you carry around inside of you. It's interesting. One of the definitions for depression is anger turned inward. Think about that. When repressed anger is finally expressed, it's usually either explosive because it's been years building up, or it's passive. It's expressed passively. Passive-aggressive behavior. That's the waiter who's angry with the customer, so he spits in the soup and then serves it. <laughs> Enjoy your meal. That's passive-aggressive. So what's your temper temperament? If you lean, you lean to one of those, is it rage or is it repressed? Neither one are really that healthy. Here's a third one, righteous anger. Healthy, a healthy response to hurt and injustice. Passionate, active response to a right cause. When you see or experience an unfair personal hurt or a child abused or racial discrimination or immorality or mean-spirited treatment or selfish greed, that should upset you. When I see a movie or hear about a woman being uh, hurt in some way, taken advantage of, I remember on occasion I'll see there'd be like a rape scene or something. I just, my blood boils. I just hate that. And I should. I should be angry about that. I remember uh, one woman uh, telling me that her, her husband had had an affair. She said, I'm so angry with him because he had that affair. And I said, yeah, you should be. God's angry with him. In fact, that's a rule of thumb. If it makes God angry, it's okay for you to be angry at whatever that is. So what kind of anger do you have? Is it Jesus' anger? Is it righteous anger? What's your temper temperament? Are you angry like Jesus is? Truth is, you will feel anger. 
How you process, manage, and express it really matters. Here's a little three-step acrostic I made just to help us think through that. M-A-D, help us to process when we are mad. Here's the M, motive. I have to ask, why am I angry? It's your emotion. You have to be responsible to handle it. You can't say, well, you made me mad. No, it's your emotion. You have to handle it. Start by knowing what it is that's making you angry. And I'll be honest with you, on most occasions, our motives are selfish. I didn't get my way. You hurt me, so I want to hurt you back. Things didn't turn out like I expected. The line at the DMV was too long. That guy cut me off and I missed my turn. The kids messed up the family room again. I told them a hundred times not to do that. My boss gave me too much work to do and he didn't thank me for what I did do. I haven't eaten today. I'm hangry. I haven't gotten any sleep, so I'm grumpy at the world. Why are you angry? I remember when I was young, I was uh, first married, I was working at UPS, and I got, off, I got home at 2 a.m. And my wife, my young wife, thought this was the thing wives should do. She'd been with the kids all day, but she thought she should be awake when I got home to see how I was doing. But it never, it, it always went wrong. It always ended up in an argument. It would start with, how was your day? What do you mean by that? And then it would, it would go downhill. We always got mad. You know why? It was 2 a.m. and we were tired. We finally figured out she should go to bed and I should just come home and unwind. You know, why are you angry? After 51 years of marriage with two different women, I have, in a, being in a, a billion arguments, I have looked back and said, you know, almost 90-something percent of them were stupid and selfish on my part over dumb stuff I don't even remember. You gotta ask yourself, why am I angry? And listen, if you're too upset to even ask that, you just need to go calm down. Don't do anything. If you can't come up with a mature reason why you're upset, then you are just reacting emotionally. That is not righteous anger, and it's not healthy. Here's what it says in James 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Oh, I guess they had anger back then. <laughs> Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to become angry. Why is that? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Selfish human anger is not Jesus' righteous anger. So stop and ask, what's my motive? And then A is action. How will I act? How will I respond? Jesus kicked over tables, and honestly, I don't recommend that approach. Jesus also taught in Matthew 18, if there's a conflict between you and somebody else, go to that person, talk that through, work that out, don't just kick them. That's not the idea. Pray for a constructive way to deal with the issue. If you're angry about abortion, and you should be, go to Alternative Pregnancy Center and give financially, or better yet, volunteer, support them. If you're angry about an injustice, don't just blow up and vent on social media. Ask God how you can be part of a solution rather than fueling the problem with anger. Take action by processing and expressing it appropriately. Anger was an issue in, in our family, and I had the person who was so angry. I, I said, I want to meet and talk with you at McDonald's. And the reason we met there is because I knew they couldn't yell and throw things at me in a public place. Seriously, I'm absolutely serious. And we would meet regularly there and deal with this angry situation. And it worked. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4.26. Look at this. Be angry. 
Be angry and do not sin. There is a way to feel anger and not sin. It's Jesus' righteous anger. Anger doesn't have to lead to sin. But if you find you can't control your personal anger, we have anger issues support groups and celebrate recovery. Just come and learn how to do that. M, what is my motive? A, how will I act? And then D, when will it be done? D is for done. When will it be done? What's the shelf life of your anger? You can't carry anger with you very long before it will eat you alive. Unresolved conflict will eventually destroy you. It will steal your joy, your peace of mind, your productivity, and your health. Listen, it's okay to be angry, but don't become an angry person. That's different. Here's the rest of this verse in Ephesians. Be angry and do not sin. Look, do not let the sun go down on your anger. When's it going to be done? God isn't calling you to be a grumpy, irritable, cranky hothead. That person's not fun to live with. It actually says in Proverbs, it's better to live in an attic than with a quarrelsome wife. Or, by the way, husband. Find a way to be done with it and move on. Jesus was not an angry person. He didn't have a short fuse. He was angry, and then he was done, and he started teaching again. I remember talking to one elderly man who'd been married like forever, and he said, one of the things I've learned is we don't turn the light out at night until everything's resolved. He said, uh, you know, and, and sometimes, quite frankly, the light stayed on well into the night, but we didn't turn it out till we said either I love you or I'm sorry, and then we turn out the light. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. We're moving on to the next thing. Motive, action, done. That's processing anger. But listen, Jesus' angry action in the temple wasn't why he came to Jerusalem. This table-turning incident was only the beginning of Passion Week. He wasn't there to right a few wrongs. He didn't triumphantly march into Jerusalem just to clean up some bad business dealings in the temple. He had a much larger purpose for this week. Listen to what, if you, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. On Monday, Jesus cleansed the table, uh, the temple. But on Friday, Jesus cleansed the world. That's what was going on on Passion Week. Let's move from this emotional term, anger, and look at a very theological concept, the wrath of God. Does God get angry? Yeah, Absolutely. Here's the definition. The wrath of God is the condemnation that sinners deserve. It is the promised hell for those who reject God's grace. Because God is completely just and holy, he can't ignore sin. He can't pretend that sinners don't exist. His holiness demands that he punish sin in righteous anger. Consequently, because you and I are sinners, we deserve the wrath of God. We don't like that, do we? Here's a verse. I never see this on a t-shirt or coffee cup. Hebrews 10, 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall under the hands of a living God. We don't talk about the wrath of God or hell very much. Preachers used to preach on it. In fact, the sermon that was the catalyst for the first great awakening in America was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. He preached it to his congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts in July of 1741. 
He confronted his congregation on their sin and their, their need for salvation and their need for Jesus. Here's just one line as he describes those who don't have Christ in their life. Listen to this. The wrath of God burns against them. Their damnation does not slumber. The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow. The glittering sword is wet and held over them. The pit hath opened its mouth under them. And it said as he preached, people actually clung to their pews for fear they would fall into hell. And they repented of their sin, and they believed in Jesus to be saved from the wrath of God, the hell they deserved. Well, people today, they say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. How can a loving God send someone to hell? We're already going there. We are born sinners and already under the wrath of God. But the good news is that God in his love provided a way for us to be saved from his wrath. Here's another theological term, propitiation. Here's the definition. Propitiation is the satisfactory payment for sin. What can satisfy the wrath of the Almighty? Certainly not a few Passover lambs. Here's the answer, 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us, watch this, and sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. Passion week was not about cleansing the temple. It was about cleansing the world. There are not enough tables in this world to kick over to satisfy the wrath of God. But the cross did. Because on the cross, Jesus paid it all. Not just some. All. A satisfactory payment. God was mad, but Jesus' death satisfied his wrath. Think about that little acrostic mad. God's motive was love. God's action was the cross. And God's salvation is done. In fact, Jesus even said it on the cross. It is finished. It's paid for. We all know John 3.16. Do you know John 3.17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Passion Week was leading Jesus to the cross to save you from your deserved judgment and punishment. Whoever believes in Jesus and what he did on the cross will be released from condemnation and given eternal life. Here's a promise deserving of a, being on a t-shirt. Romans 8, 1, read it with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the wrath of God no longer rests on those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? So I have to ask, have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? This little story should cause you to ask at least two things. Number one, am I right with God? And number two, am I righteous in my anger? What is it you need to hand over this morning? Is it your heart? Is it your heart of faith? Is it your life finally? Lord, I'll give you everything. Is it a nasty habit like anger or something else? What do you need to hand over to your heavenly father? So my wife and I got in our car. We drove past that cluster of cars out there and the emergency vehicles. And my son's car was not there. 
We kept on going home, pulled up in front of the house, and there in the driveway was his car. So when I came in, I called him downstairs, and we stood face to face, and I said, son, I am so sorry. I said, I should never have gotten mad at you like that. I said, uh, uh, there's actually a Bible verse that says, fathers, do not exasperate your children and push them to that point of anger. And I did that, and I was wrong, and... I looked at him in the eye and said, can you forgive me? Of course, by then he was crying and I was crying, you know, and he, was, he put his arms around. He's like, well, of course, Dad, I forgive you. And we hugged each other. And then I said this, put up my hand and I said, hand over your keys. You can't drive when you're mad like that. Your heavenly father right now, if he was standing here and just put his hand out, what would you, what would you hand over? What would he ask you to hand over this morning? That nasty habit, would it be your heart? You're finally going to believe him and follow him. I'm going to want to lead you in a prayer. If you just bow over quietly, just you and the Lord. I'm going to pray this, and if this is your heart, you can just pray this right to God. Dearest Father, I am a sinner who needs you. Thank you for the cross of our Savior. I believe Jesus paid it all. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. But I need your help today for this. And you tell him what it is. Right now I place my heart, my habits, my hurts into your hand. And I do it in Jesus' name. Amen.